You're listening to Thrive Beyond Size, episode 127. Welcome to Thrive Beyond Size, the podcast that's all about finding health, joy, and liberation beyond weight. If you're ready to break free from diet culture and embrace a lifestyle that celebrates your body regardless of your size, you're in the right place. Here's your host, health and wellness coach, Dr. Michelle Tubman. Well, hello there, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you're all doing well. I am doing fantastic. As you know, I've had a bit of a rough few weeks. I had shingles. I was tired, lots of work, all sorts of things. And then I went to this lifestyle medicine conference, um, you know, just over a week ago, and it totally changed everything for me. I got so excited because I was with like-minded people. I was reminded of what my values are and what my purpose is in life and in career, I really had the opportunity to rest, to feed my body well, to move my body in ways that brought me joy. And it was just exactly what I needed. And I'm so excited. One of the things that I discovered is this group called Walk with a Doc. And I've decided to open up a chapter here in my hometown of Spruce Grove. And this is an amazing opportunity because what it really involves is me gathering people together in my community, giving them just a short little talk on positive changes they can make in terms of their lifestyle within their family. And I answer questions and then together we all just spend time together and go out for a walk. And I think it's such a great way for me to volunteer and give back to my community in a way that's really aligned with my passion of reconnecting people with their bodies, encouraging joyful movement and all doing it with community. And the key is, is that starting this endeavor is really something that's coming from my passion to help people and is also completely in line with my personal values. And so to explore these particular concepts more fully, I have invited Kristen Besky onto the podcast to talk with us today. Kristen Besky is a mindset and transformation expert, helping professionals break through invisible inner barriers to attain more clarity, impact, and ease in life. A Harvard graduate, she's an experienced psychotherapist and a mindset coach specializing in helping women master their own internal world to achieve success. A former litigation attorney, she pivoted mid-career to align with her higher purpose and skill set. With over a decade as a clinical psychotherapist and now mindset coach, she serves others to expand transform and attain their full limitless potential. And so in this amazing interview with Kirsten, we really talk about what is required for change and transformation and how we can really begin to connect with our value system and our North Star or our higher purpose to really drive the change that we're looking for. All right. So without any further delay, here is the interview with Kirsten. Enjoy. Kirsten, welcome to the Thrive Beyond Size podcast. Really happy to have you here with me today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And I anticipate having an amazing conversation about transformation and limiting beliefs and how we can bust through those, do what we need to do to see the transformations that we want to have in our life, which is so exciting. And before we jump into all the juicy details of that, Kirsten, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and what you do? Well, I'd like to call myself a change expert because I've lived several chapters of my life, but essentially I help usually mid-age 
um, women, not always exclusively, um, who are just, you know, really been at the top of their career or really have mastered some part of their life, but they see what's ahead and they want something different. So I help them negotiate those big life changes that help and, you know, find more joy and engagement and in the next chapter of their life. I like to call it, you know, designing your life um, by, you know, navigate by your North Star and design your life your way. Oh, gosh, it sounds like I'm your perfect client, by the way. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We should talk. (laughs) I'm staring 50 down right in the eyes right now. And I've got all this perimenopause stuff um, going on that is opening some opportunities and closing others and making me question, you know, what I want in my life. And I am no stranger to change myself. I have gone through many transformations over the course of my life as well. Um, From I didn't go to medical school till I was 32. Right. So that was a big that was a big change. And now here I am, you know, looking at 50 and just started this coaching business not so long ago and really thinking about, you know, where do I want the last, you know, couple decades of my working life um, to be to be focused and change is not easy. And of course, the focus of this podcast is often changing our relationship with food, relationship to our bodies, relationship to ourselves. And that might be the most difficult change of all. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always talking about change and how hard it is. And it's fun to commiserate about that. But today we're going to talk not about how hard it is, but how we can actually get through it. That sounds great. And it is hard. I mean, we really can't. And the thing is, you think you're an expert, right? Because you've done it before. But um, every new, you know, decade brings new challenges. And uh, I am definitely the perimenopausal and menopausal changes. Uh, I was, I just thought, boy, this is like going through adolescence again. You have to just learn this whole new relationship with your body that you did not know you even had to discover. <laughs> so um, it, it, I think that, you know, you resist that, right? You know, why, why do you want to go through a whole another renegotiation about being nice to yourself and kind to yourself and accepting the limitations that, you know, the, all the changes might put on you or might not you know, why do you want to do that? But the reason you want to do it, the reason it's worth the struggle of trying to come around is because there's a a lot of peace on the other side, um, right? No matter whether you get there by changing circumstances, or you get there by changing your inner dialogue, you know, what the, the, the best reward is a sense of peace and um, kind of that, that, um, you know, just not the grind and not the tension of thinking things should be different, but coming around to that place of really um, feeling clear that, hey, I know what my values are. And I know what my I want my impact and purpose to be in the world, because that's the work I do with my clients. And and, as, and I know as long as I'm acting in, in alignment with my values, as I know them, and, and my purpose, as I know it, I probably can't really do no harm, right? You know, I can just keep moving forward without all that wondering, am I doing the right thing or thinking the right way or accepting myself in the right way? Yeah. And I think that's really the crux of it, isn't it? it? It's it's how we think about the change process and what life looks like on either side of it. And you mentioned in there that, you know, we, we either change the circumstances or we change our mindset or our thinking around what's ever going, going on. And I think it's important to emphasize that because sometimes change happens because of a change in circumstances that aren't necessarily in our control, right? And other times change happens because you feel that 
tension, right? You, you maybe recognize that your life isn't in alignment with your values, or you are yearning for something more, something different. And you feel, you know, you feel that tension to move into the next phase of your life. And in that instance, maybe you do have to change circumstances. Um, But I think in both cases, it's how you're thinking about change and how you're thinking about yourself. That is probably the most powerful, Absolutely. Yeah. That your self-concept, it can get really sticky. You can kind of get stuck in it. Right. And then uh, you feel the tension, you feel the tension and that if you address it directly, instead of avoiding it, it lets you really gather some truths, like as to your, your idea of yourself and what you want to be and what you hope to be. Um, whereas, you know, if you just ignored the tension and, you know, a lot of people do are really good at ignoring the tension, you know, that those are the people that will, um, you know, we, we all have our, our, you know, if it's not scrolling on your social media, it's, you know, maybe having your wine out every night or it's, you know, or your food, um, food. you know, go to food. Um, or or any other number of, you know, these numbing behaviors that help us avoid thinking about the hard stuff, right? And and so because when we really dig into like the tension that we're feeling, sometimes we don't really want to accept the answer that might start to change how that tension is appearing in your life, right? Because sometimes it can mean big deals. It can mean changing jobs or changing partners or moving or, you know, things that just sometimes we just don't want to actually address head on because they're hard. Big things. And, you know, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head again when you said that I think it's it's sometimes not wanting to hear the answer, Right. When when you're dealing with that tension. And I, of course, am dealing with this right now um, because I, I do too much. And I acknowledge that I still work full time as a physician. I'm the medical director of my hospital. I run this business. People keep inviting me to talk at different things. And it's like I always say, yes, 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 yes. And lately, and I think it's partly because I don't have the same energy um, as I did with this perimenopause stuff going. And I, I have no choice but to say no to some things. And that's really made me reassess where I am in my life, what's important to me and where I want to go next. And I have been keeping myself extraordinarily busy so that I don't have to think about it because I'm afraid of what I'm going to hear if I actually slow down and tune in because I'm pretty sure what I'm going to hear is that I have to slow down and I don't want to make a decision as to what what has to go um, in order for me to live a life that doesn't feel so, you know, hectic and chaotic. Um, And that's, that's really, that's really difficult. Both of our countries, the US and Canada are, you know, currently really struggling with broken healthcare systems. And so it's not necessarily easy to be a physician right now. But one of my mentors is always saying, you know, we have to practice radical acceptance. We have to practice radical acceptance that, you know, we still have to come to work and um, function in this broken, shitty healthcare system. And it's much more difficult if we're constantly fighting against what is instead of just trying to work through what is. And I love that idea of radical acceptance because, you know, when when you're fighting against circumstances that are maybe out of your control, then it it is that fighting and the resistance against it all that, that brings up a lot of that tension. Right, right. And I think, you know, radical acceptance, I mean, it's a very deep and profound um, concept. And I think there's always the 
Like if you actually accomplish that, that's, you know, that's the goal of Buddhism, right? Like, you know, in a way, right. That's the be here now, accept whatever it is. And you, you won't have all those, um, the buffets of all the emotions <laughs> of resisting and, and uh, wishing things were different. And um, we also, you know, have some self uh, efficacy, right? We can uh, control our circumstances, we can make choices. And so the question it really ends up being kind of digging down into like we talked about before, your values, um, and then being honest, like this honesty factor, like, how is this affecting me, right? So if you know, you're a physician, you know, how stress and overwork can actually I, I, I mean, I'm guessing here because I am not a physician, but can actually have physical impacts on your your systems, right? And so, um, and so, where do you kind of have that reality check? Where yes, I can, if if I'm not able to really radically accept this, if I if or if there's not enough hours in the day, and I'm really under a lot of time stress. Um, to be able to make those wise choices where you say, well, in my value system, I value a healthy body. In my value system, I value um, sustainability so I don't burn out. Um, you know, in my value system, I value keeping myself healthy so that I can care for other people. And all of these values line up to be an easy no for certain things, right? Um, but there's a little bit of a process to get to that place, right? Where you, because you have to be so discerning, which are the things that are so important to you that you do want to accept them and which things don't you really have to accept it because they're not good for you and, and they don't meet your higher purpose, which I assume is probably healing and helping people at, at some level, right? <laughs> so it, it kind of boils down to the old, put your own oxygen mask on first <laughs> um, <laughs> adage that you hear so often. But, you know, really like realizing if my purpose is helping others and actually underneath that, I I have like an obligation to care for myself in a way that's more sustainable and to me and, and me in the system. Does that make sense? Well, it, that actually makes perfect sense. And I can hear like the thoughts in other people's, you know, brains, you know, turning around this right now and thinking, because what I often see in clients that I work with is that they are so busy fulfilling the different roles in their lives and caring for, you know, partners, spouses, colleagues, etc. hate patients in some cases that, you know, they're not even aware of what their value system is or what their higher purpose is. And what I'm hearing from you is that identifying these things is just so important because this is what the, the North Star is, that this is what guides us to make these decisions. And so do you have any advice for women who just might be stuck on that hamster wheel and haven't thought about their value system or their higher purpose in a while? Yeah, well, first of all, I would say you're perfectly normal. <laughs> Most people here in this, you know, in our cultures um, are on a hamster wheel and, and we are forced to go so fast. So you don't blame yourself. That's just part of the culture that we're in. So there's that piece. Um, and then to realize that sometimes, and uh, I think of it as like whitewater rafting, you know, like if, if, if life was a journey, sometimes when you're caring for kids and parents at the same time, or, you know, whatever the, your circumstances are, you are in the rapids and all you can do is paddle as fast as you can to stay upright, right? And so you have to kind of have, you know, the recognition that there's times when things are going to be just out of your control, but you have to still breathe. <laughs> Right, you know, yeah, you have to still like 
have enough energy to go through the day. So, you know, it, it's like the both and. So, yes, you, you're in it and you're really struggling. And you whenever you can come up for air, you know, you, you get that chance to just be like, am I OK? Like, just do that check in. Am I OK? In any pause. It, and um, you don't have to have that time when you're right in the middle of everything to take time and, you know, take an hour a week to dive into your values and your, you know, your strengths and your purpose, which is what I do in my program. However, that being said, to know that there should always be an end of the rapids, like, like life should not be a continual whitewater rapids class five, right? And if it is, um, then you got to really ask yourself, like, am I like purposely paddling towards the rapids? <laughs> like, where's my rest, right? Because there's always a, a certain quantity of rest that's available. I, I do find that a lot of my clients, if they've raised children, they start to see the end of the rapids as the kids turn to teens and get and get a little more independent. Um, I, I, a lot of my clients have taken care of uh, dying parents and they don't have time to get their head up, you know, to breathe and take a look at their values until their parent has passed and they have to go through grief first. You know, there's just, there's time and place where it's the right time to take that step back and look at the big picture. And, and it's a, it is, um, it shouldn't be a luxury, um, but it can be a very time sensitive thing that, you know, you can't always grant yourself that space. Um, but I think it's a great gift you can give yourself if you if you think of it as a priority and start looking for, well, where do I have the space to take some of this time to look at these um, values and my purpose? And, and the research all shows if you are discerning about things like you know, your um, sense of engagement in life, like what's lighting you up. If you're discerning about what your purpose is and your overarching impact you want to make, like what's the legacy you want to leave at this stage of your life. If you have something that gives you a sense of achievement instead of just like a tedious daily grind. Um, and if you have positive thought patterns in your head that are able to get you through like, harder times, you know, and all those like things like gratitude, right, and gratitude practices. But if you combine all of these things and have a, a few good relationships, the, the research all shows that is what people who are living a life that feels very uh, fulfilled and, you know, that they have a high sense of well-being. Those are the factors that they, that bring together this sense of well-being. So there's definitely, you know, certain pillars you can go through, like almost like a checklist and make sure you're, you're uh, kind of up to speed in all those different areas. But only when you have the time. <laughs> but, but only when you have your time. But is this, yeah. <laughs> is this where limiting beliefs come in, though? Because is I don't have the time to reflect on my values and my purpose. Is that an example of a limiting belief? Yeah. So I mean, we have to, it's so interesting, right? How you have to be so discerning because plenty of people are going through legitimate life experiences where they actually don't have this, the mental space or time, like in the middle of some, with some widows, right. Who have lost their husbands unexpectedly and they need, they didn't go right into this. They gave themselves like, the time to grieve and then they had that space. So, I mean, so there's real reasons. And then there's the hamster wheel. I must do, 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 can't say no. You know, the, the idea where you're, you are using overwork as a, as an avoidance mechanism, which I think you so wisely um, identified before. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so um, to be honest with yourself and say, you know, is, is this overwork serving me? Just like any, um, any behavior, right? Is it serving me? 
and if if you if you're honest with yourself sometimes it can they, you can actually know the answer already like no it was not serving me and then that's when you have to take the actual step to make the time then to be a little more discerning you right. know really just say sure. hey i'm going to carve out this time because i can't keep up like this you know something something's going to give <laughs> and i don't want it to be me and my health that 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 does make sense yes and so if you do carve out a little bit of time to do some reflection and determine that, you know, right now I legitimately don't have the capacity to do this work. I get that. That's fair. But if you do, right, if you do think that you could, what are the next steps? Like how, how can you start working um, with your thoughts or with your circumstances to start to make the space for the transformation or the change that you want in your life? to occur because that's not that's not easy i mean it's it's easy for me to say something in my life has to go but it's not easy to actually look at the different hats that i wear and make a decision as to you know what needs to go and you know i i'm bringing this up because what i see commonly in the women that i work with is that their lives are so full with so many roles as well that there is no capacity to work on relationship with self. Um, and I, I firmly believe that working with relationship with self, um, that that is kind of like the first step towards healing your relationship with food. It's not going to happen unless you take, you know, unless you take that first step. And so, you know, w- women come to me and they're like, they desperately want to do this work, but but fun, like making a plan to make the space for it to happen is just not an easy thing. Step one would be recognizing the value of making space, right? Because think about it, you know, that's not clear in the first instance. I am a huge proponent, but not everyone likes this, of having a morning journaling practice. I've raised <laughs> too many children. Um, I, when, I, I was a lawyer um, with with a couple of kids, and then I became a psychotherapist. When I went to school to get my master's in, in clinical psychology, I had two little kids at home. And to get my work done, because I was still working as a lawyer, you know, I had to get up at these crazy, I mean, I'm a, I'm a morning person. So I, I would get up at, you know, four or 35, just so I could do my coursework before I went into practice law. And now I'm not saying that that's good. And being on the other side of being young, right? So, um, but I am still, I, I do now still live in a house that has several humans in it of all different ages. And so I still do try to get up before everyone else. And I have my little spot with my journal and I spend 20 minutes each day trying be free writing, just free writing, almost like having a dialogue with yourself. If you think about it, that's what I think of as journaling, just like you're having a dialogue with yourself and you're able to sit and reflect just a little bit for just those 20 minutes all by yourself with nobody bothering you. And it's a really good first step to start to even understand what you might want, because until you give yourself even that space, when are you going to have time to sit and kind of think about what do I actually want? Right. I love that. And you know what? I actually have a morning journaling practice as well. I, I have forever. Um, and I, when I do shifts um, in the emergency department, I do almost only 6 a.m. shifts at this point, um, which means I'm getting up at 4.15 in the morning. And I still even do my journaling before before those shifts. It's such an important part of of my life. And I have to agree that it 
it, it is where most of my ideas come from, where my ahas come from, where it's a place where I can say things that I can't necessarily say out loud to anyone else yet, that I'm still, you know, trying on <laughs> ideas for fun and seeing how they fit and seeing how they feel. And it's such a beautiful way to, um, to explore. And I combine that with a little bit of a breathing practice. And like that, that has really been beneficial for me. And I think it's because I have that practice that I have the awareness that I need to let, I need to let things go um, in, in my life. And just, you know, one thing, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, that's been helpful for me is to not rush this process either, um, that I, I need to yeah, I'm a physician. I get that. And a lot of my decision-making is very cognitively based, but I, I have to spend time with, you know, each of these hats that I wear and see how it feels and how it fits in and what it's going to feel like to let go. And I need to, like, I, I need to go through this process before I actually make a decision and make the change. And this is a big deal for me because a number of years ago, it's like, that's it. Like I'm going to make a decision right now and I'm just going to do it. And then I'm going to, I'm going to just be okay with whatever the fallout is. And I think this is one of the gifts that perimenopause and journaling has given me is just the, the space to allow a little bit of time um, to make some of these decisions. Absolutely. Especially big decisions like that. When you, you, you know, when you've given so much of your life it, to a certain area, the thought of shifting out of it. I mean, I, when I was going to stop practicing law um, after 14 years of being a lawyer, uh, I did not do it like that, right? You know, it, it, it's just something that you start with and you think about and then you you wonder. And frankly, I actually went, went to a coach, a career coach back. I just knew I wanted something different and I didn't know what. And thankfully, she was this wonderful holistic career coach, which I've modeled some of my work on because she, you know, worked with um, that you're, you know, it wasn't like a vocational test that you take. And then she says, go do this. But it was very organic. And that's the way I work with my clients too. very organic, you know, to what will work for you. And when the idea came up of going into the field of psychology, I was like, I can't do that. And she's like, but why not? And I said, well, that would just be too fun. <laughs> that would be like such a luxury. <laughs> she's like, and this is bad. Why? <laughs> you know, sometimes it is nice to have another person um, to kind of mirror and reflect back to you yourself in a way that you, that's helpful to make things clear. So I, I do think sometimes we, we can't get all the perspective we need on ourselves alone all the time. I mean, we can get very clear, but sometimes it's can help speed up the process and and really get you on track with a, a wise person that gets to knowing you and gives you back that feedback. Well, that's yeah. really the pow- the power of coaching and and like psychology, isn't it? Yes, you know you know speaking of psychology, you've 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 spoken about positive psychology, um, and that is a term I hear thrown around a lot, um, mostly because it keeps coming up in advertisements on my Facebook feed. I don't know why, but it's so what what exactly is positive psychology and how can it help us if we're looking to change or transform our lives in some way? I'm so glad you asked. So there's a misconception that positive psychology is like what people think of as toxic positivity, right? It's not just like, oh, be 
be happy and think good thoughts and everything will go. It's not that at all. And I think that Martin Seligman, I think, is the person who coined the term positive psychology. And I know he would take it back if he could and come up with a different term. But really what it is, it's the science of well-being. It's the science, it's the research and science behind how people thrive. And so before positive psychology, I put it in quotes, came to be, really psychology studied everything that was wrong with people. It was like the laundry list of all the labels of things that could be wrong with people. And so at some point, um, and Martin Seligman was one of the people that got thinking, what if we studied everything that's right with people? What if we actually started to learn how people thrive? And so in the course of doing that, the the evidence has built up over the years and really he focuses on five pillars. And so um, if you go through them, positivity is the first one, but it's positivity really is like an abbreviation for thought patterns. It's healthy thought patterns. It's not happy thought patterns. Um, and then the next thing is um, engagement. And that's that concept of um, how you feel vital and in flow. I don't know if you're familiar with um, Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi's researcher yes, book. I flow. cannot say yeah. his name, but I'm very familiar <laughs> with his book. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's that sense of engagement that's important. Then relationships. I mean, study after study talks about the importance of connection and healthy relationships as part of people's sense of well-being and and um, you know, it, especially throughout the whole lifespan add on a little achievement apparently humans for some reason will uh, really crave a sense of achievement um and it can be internal achievement right it doesn't have to be someone giving you a prize because they recognize you did something good but it can be your own sense that you've achieved something or obviously it can be recognition by others of your achievement um and then my favorite um purpose and meaning right so just and this i feel like should it is almost the umbrella of it all but it's just the idea that people who have a pretty well-defined sense of purpose and meaning really have and are able to actually execute it in the world have a really high sense of of well-being and fulfillment and so um so if you put together all of these and they added on much after um after this model was concocted, his students all came back to him and said, you have to have something about the physical body. So he added a V for vitality eventually, like from this PERMA V model is what they call it. But this idea that it does matter that our bodies are at some level healthy and vital, you know. No. Um, and so so this is like the science of positive psychology and all of the studies they do around this stuff proves that if you take advantage of all this, you know, these different pillars of, of well-being, you're going to end up, you know, in a better place of more thriving and less just surviving. Right. Yeah. Um, and I love making that distinction between thriving and surviving. And for me, I also add striving as a third mm -hmm. thing there because I, I, I tend to end up in this trap of constantly striving for things that will give me some external validation that are not necessarily aligned with my purpose or values. And I also tend to do this in a silo without that sense of community or connection. And so lately over recent months, I've been noticing just how important that connection um, piece is 
for me and how, you know, it's, it's actually okay to seek out the company of others who I can talk to about these things and who I can share experience with, um, which, you know, as an introvert is not always easy until I realized that, you know, I can actually find other people who are just like me and, um, right. <laughs> It, it brings so much more fulfillment to me, um, for sure. And so I, I, I want to share a, a little bit of a story. I've been in a bit of a slump for the past month or so. Um, I just had lots of clinical work. And then I got shingles, which like just physically knocked me out. For, for a couple of weeks, I was just really tired. I'm so and, sorry. Yeah, right? and and I'm on, I'm on the other side of it now. And then when you add in the perimenopause stuff, just all going, it's like just was not a good couple of weeks for me at all. And so I had been booked to go to this lifestyle medicine conference, and I am writing my exam to be board certified in this um, in December. And going to this conference is a mandatory. Thing. And so I had to go. I really didn't want to. All I could think about was just I would have four days at home with no work. Um, I'm, you know, I scheduled to be away so I could literally hide at home and no one would know I was there and I could just rest. Right. That's that's what I wanted. But I made myself go to this to this thing. And I met people who reminded me how much I love this and we talked about things that reminded me what my purpose is and what my personal values are and it changed the way I thought about um, a lot of the things that I had been grappling with and so I remember like on the last day texting my husband I'm all better I'm energized like I feel really fantastic I can't wait to come home and discuss you know some of these new ideas with you and this happened over a four-day period of what sounds like practicing these pillars of positive psychology. And I did workouts and they fed us these whole food plant-based meals that made my body feel really good. I did a yoga session um, online with some other participants. Like it was, it was just really ended up being just exactly what I needed. And, um, and so it just, I noticed now thinking about it, that it ticks off a lot of, a lot of those pillars of, of positive psychology. Yeah, that's a great, great observation. And I'm so glad that it was something that you were able to really kind of like capitalize on and really take advantage of and good for you for for making the the time to go do it, you know, despite your yeah. introversion and, <laughs> and all that. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> also, also to be fair, that it probably would have been a reasonable option for me to stay home and rest as well. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, and I did give myself the rest at, at this conference. You know, I, I didn't engage in a lot of the social activities to just go home and or back to my room and rest as well. So like I, I gave myself kind of a little bit of everything that I, I think I needed. But I think it's just proof that if you do allow yourself, and this was a four day, like this, this was literally just four days. And it did all of those things It connected me back to my purpose and my values and, um, you know, allowed me to spend time with people who, you know, really fill my cup. And 
also have similar values and purpose, right? And so these are possibly actions we can take if we're looking to make change in our life, right? Are there other actions, other like practical things we can do to help us on on journeys towards change or transformation? Absolutely. A real easy one that I'm a big fan of because it's just such such instant, you know, instant feedback is um, this idea of trying something new that's not too crazy out of your comfort zone, but um, learning something new that you can kind of learn enough of that you can get a little bit of a sense of mastery and then you can experience that sense of flow that we were just talking about. Um, For me, I just uh, learned how to play pickleball. Have you heard of this sport of pickleball? (laughs) You know, I don't go a week in the emergency department without seeing a pickleball injury. So be careful. (laughs) Well, I've been doing it for a little bit of time now. I have to confess, I once was a tennis player. So I played tennis very seriously as, as a younger person. So this pickleball thing, which is like, kind of if you don't know if listeners don't know it's kind of like a cross between ping pong and tennis somewhere in the middle um but it's very fast um paced and fun but it's with a wiffle ball like you can't take it too seriously but so you know if if when you're trying something new and you're learning and you're on that upward happy curve of getting better and learning and getting better and learning whether it's a new language or a new instrument or of taking an art class, you know, there's just a lot of enjoyment that can come from learning something new, which I imagine that was a piece of your conference as well, um, was learning new things. So that's a really easy thing that anybody can just be like, huh, when's the last time I started something new? When's the last time I was a beginner at something? And to, to like find something that might light you up and struggle through the beginning stages of learning and then start to feel that sense of mastery as you get better, that's that A of achievement that goes in the in the positive psychology um, achievement and also engagement because you have to focus so hard to to be able to learn whatever you're learning. So very easy thing. Try something new that you haven't done. Um, and and uh, you know I think as we get older as adults we forget that you're you're allowed to try something. You're allowed to be a beginner. We're so good at all the things. We haven't been a beginner in so long. It's really awkward sometimes we would might not even try something if we're like oh I don't know how to do that (laughs) I'll be embarrassed if I go to pottery class and can't throw a perfect (laughs) circle or whatever so so letting yourself you know not be perfect and go and show up as a beginner is a great way to shake things up a little bit um in addition to like our journaling practice we talked about but there's there's more but you uh, have you know what else can you want to give me another prompt that will let me think of something else. Well, let, let, let's take it back to what my listeners are are often working on is is their relationship with food. And so we we take a intuitive eating approach here where we we I, I, I use the term legalize all foods where we try to take away labels of of good or bad. The problem is, is that we often have so many years of voices in our heads saying, you know, fat is bad, carbs are bad, you know, can't eat after six, like all of these, you know, nonsense rules that feel, 
you know, very true. And so we have to challenge some of these um, if we want to change our relationship with food. And this is not an easy thing, you know, for, for many people to do it. It's like literally learning how to look at food in a completely different way. And so are there, I, journaling is definitely one that can be very helpful. Um, but does anything else come to mind for you that could be useful in addressing, you know, some of the thoughts that come up um, around food that really feel so true that, but that you'd like to challenge? Yeah, well, um, this is, I mean, this is a terrific area of, um, you know, how do you shift your, your perception and your belief system so internally that it becomes real for you. So it, it so there's a couple of different ways to do this. Um, I love the difference of an av avoidance goal versus an approach goal. Um, so what we, I think what you're doing with your intuitive eating is you're not saying there's no, no, I can't eat cookies, right? But so sometimes it's helpful to view the approach goal means like this goal that you're wanting to go towards. So like instead of I can't do these things that would be like it will be I will feel so good if I have what I my body's craving which is you know probably a salad right or you know or something healthy like viewing these as um not away from but towards so it's like it, it and so that's a shift that you can make with regard to all food because sometimes I imagine many of your clients um food just becomes all bad, <laughs> you know, like any food I, I put in my mouth, it's, it's going to be bad. And so like, just start like um, acquiring a list of things that are, that you really value and that you know are going to be nutritious and you want to uh, like go towards them and then to reinforce that neural pathway. Right. You know, so, so then, it, you know, this like, you know, a meal with all fruits, but, you know, proteins, carbs, and whatever is good, you know, like, and, and then, but start to repeat that to yourself so that you feel comfortable. Like I am fine with eating, you know, good, uh, good food. I want, I mean, I don't, you tell me what would be like a, um, you know, like a goal of intuitive, your intuitive eating program that, towards know, food. Yeah, I have permission to eat. Mm -hmm any food that I'm truly physically hungry for. Yeah, love it. Right. And so, so when you have a, a affirmative statement like that, the thing to do is to, um, to cement it into your new neural pathways, one, to repeat it just plain verbally, right? Just like literally saying it over and over again, but then to connect it up with the behavior, right? So then when the the verbal statement and the behavior are connected over time and with repetition, you actually can start to believe at a more deep level that this is true. Even if at the beginning you were just saying the words because, Hey, Michelle told me to say these words. Um, but, but um, as we know, it's very hard to break habit pathways. So the part that's going to say, Oh, it's bad for me to eat uh, help what I want that's not going to go away unless like it, it's replaced by something else only by replacing it with this health, you know, this healthier affirmative statement is the old one saying it's going to start to deteriorate. Like, cause it just won't be used enough. The neurons will just <laughs> start to. And Kirsten, can you use the and here as well? Um, cause I, I often suggest this and it's, it's like, you know what I have, this fear 
that eating cupcakes are going to make me fat. And I am also learning to give myself permission to eat whatever I'm truly hunger, hungry for, knowing that one cupcake every now and again is not going to cause me any harm. Like, can, it, it, can you, can you, can that? yeah, you know, it, it's perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. It, and it's again, a new pathway, right? It's not, it's not the old one, it's the new pathway. And so the other, and then if you're looking at yourself from, um, like, if you're back to the self concept, right, you know, I want, I want to be a person that doesn't, worry at that level about what I'm eating, right? I, I want to be comfortable with food. I want to nourish my body. You know, all these positive um, kind of associations with with taking care of yourself through through nutritious food can all be new neural pathways that can be established if you repeat them with time and practice. Um, but it's not simple. It's not a snap your fingers kind of a thing. All these new habits of thought have to happen over time. You know, that, you know, you can't just start tomorrow and by Tuesday, you know, next Thursday, you're done. <laughs> of course not. But, you know, I think some of those pillars of positive psychology can help with this. Because when I think of it's, it's like connection, it's important, right? This is why I do my coaching in a group, because we can talk about these things together and hear each other's experiences. And I think something happens when you can see other people see you know when when you can witness those thought patterns changing and and in other people we know it's possible you know for us as well and you know we're we're often also one of the things that often happens when when women have a negative relationship with food is that they're denying themselves pleasure in lots of ways like they're denying themselves the pleasure of of eating and but pleasure in other areas of of life as well and i think one way I look at flow is I mean, that's a very pleasurable experience, at least it is for me. And so we actually encourage, you know, clients to find the things that, you know, bring you pleasure, find the things that you can get lost in doing and revel in how that feels. And, you know, even because once, once people, women anyways, get back to that and, and remember what it feels like to be in that state in their bodies, um, somehow food doesn't have the same power anymore because food isn't expected to fill some of these magical roles um, in, in our, in our lives anymore. And so I, I love this idea of, of using positive psychology um, anyway, lots of goodness in there. Lots of, no, that's perfect. And that is exactly what, you know, what makes sense to, to substitute more positive um, it, through flow. We've got the positive experiences through flow, but the positive relationships, right? Also, you know, you're making sure you've got that with your group. That's so fantastic. Um, and then celebrating, right? The, the achievement, you know, even if no one else knows that you successfully didn't argue with, with food all day, you know, you get to celebrate that. Yeah, you know, we, we have this habit of, we call them celebrating our 1% wins um, in, inside my program. And it's so hard for people to do this, right? They think they need to wait until they accomplish some big, big goal at the end of it all to celebrate. And I'm like, gosh, no, you know, I mean, we celebrate every little thing. And it's, it's like my husband and I have a ritual of like, we've got this handshake thing um, that we <laughs> to celebrate 
literally every little small thing um, that, that we accomplish. I mean, we do the dishes, we do this handshake. I mean, and it makes a huge difference to actually celebrate all the little things. That's, that's so important. That's great. It's great that you have that built into your group. Your clients are lucky to have you. (laughs) (laughs) But I might be a little biased. All right, Kirsten, thank you so much for for joining me today. Um, I know people might have some questions for you or might be interested in learning more about you. And so where can people find you if they they want to reach out? Well, I um, have a website, so just www.kirstenbesky.com. And so if you want to be on my mailing list or just say hi, that you can get to me through there but I'm also on both Facebook and LinkedIn um I'm on Instagram as well um although I'm not as Instagram savvy as all the super influencers out there um but I you know I I respond to messages on all those platforms so if anyone wants to reach out to me you can absolutely find me on any of those platforms that sounds perfect. And we'll be sure to include all of that inside the show notes for this episode as well. And before we sign off for today, Kristen, do you have any last words of wisdom for listeners? Well, I think following your purpose and making sure that that is your North star that's really guiding a lot of your other uh, choices. I think you can't go wrong with that. So um, and you and- can't ever go wrong. No, nope, <laughs> yeah. I agree. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you, Michelle.